This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCrae. Taryn Moore decided he wanted to be a farmer at the age of 15. However, he didn't grow up on a farm, didn't know how to drive a tractor, or much of the other knowledge young farmers should probably have. Today, Taryn has built a successful small farm in East Texas. We discuss the ups and downs of a beginning farmer and the lessons all of us can learn from someone who's making it happen. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. In 2020, I had the chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand on my fields, Pivot Bioproven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's the weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable, more productive yields than ever before. After a successful trial run in 2020, I hope you'll follow me on an expanded use of Pivot Bioproven in the 2021 growing season. If you're like me and want to make sure your corn has the nitrogen it needs, whether or not, then check out Pivot Bioproven. It'll change the way you think about nitrogen. You can learn more at pivotbio.com. I think you'll like Taryn Moore. It's hard not to like a guy with the drive and ambition he has. He grew up in East Texas, not on a farm, but then grew to love what the farm could provide, so he made it his goal to begin farming. He's had ups and downs along the way, but he has done everything with cash, slowly growing his business while working an off-farm job at the same time. Who knows what the farm may grow into, but Taryn's story is one that could provide ideas and inspiration for those looking to supplement their income or perhaps incorporate more family members into an existing operation without a large outlay of land or capital. Or maybe it's someone like Taryn who wants to be a first-generation farmer. Plus, I don't want to give anything away, but at the end of this interview, Taryn shares some of the daily habits he's put in place that have helped him become a better farmer and leader. Here's our conversation. Taryn Moore is my guest, and Taryn is a farmer in East Texas, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this conversation. I've been wanting to visit with Taryn for a, for a while now. He has a, just a unique story and I think an inspiring story about farming and agriculture. Taryn, first of all, thanks for joining me, and why don't you just begin by telling folks kind of where you're located there in Texas? Yes, sir. So I live about 40 miles um, east of Dallas. I live in a town called Caddo Mills, Texas. And my office and my farm is based in Greenville, Texas, which is about 10 minutes east of Caddo Mills. You are a first-generation farmer, am I right? Yes, sir. You're correct. So tell me how you wound up in this. I think it uh, goes back to FFA, but is that where you trace your interest in, in getting started in agriculture and farming? Yes, sir. So I joined FFA as a freshman in high school, um, kind of on accident, actually. I signed up as an extra elective to get some more hours uh, for my coursework and uh, walk into the classroom and kind of sit in the back. Of course, try to be as quiet as possible, uh, behave well, and just do my work. And for some reason, uh, my act teacher saw something in me, and she selected me to do um, an LDE, which stands for Leadership Development Events, called Farm Skills. And uh, during farm skills, I learned that I like to work with my hands and like to be outside. And uh, that kind of gave me a sport for agriculture. So 
uh, I did farm skills my freshman year, and thinking that since I did farm skills, to be an FFA, you got to be a farmer. So I started a small garden uh, in my backyard thinking that, hey, uh, I'm an FFA now, I'm a member, so I've got to be a farmer to be involved in this organization is what I was thinking. And so um, I started a very small garden, probably a 10 by 10 garden, um, growing some watermelon, peppers, uh, zucchini, and some uh, okra and squash. I'll never forget, Andrew, I went to my uh, chapter meeting, and I brought a watermelon to the uh, to the meeting along with some other food that they had pre, uh, prepared for us. And to watch my classmates eat something that I produced uh, with my own hands and the soil in my backyard and uh, the seeds that I planted, to see them consume something that I produced was uh, very, very rewarding for me. So I knew immediately I wanted to produce on a larger scale. And so uh, after that meeting, a year later, I started doing acreage, and I always remember my, my parents, they used to buy peas as a kid, which they still do, and uh, I recall them spending hundreds of dollars on these peas, these purple hole peas and these cream peas, and I started thinking, I said, I don't really want to work like fast food, I don't really want to work for anyone else, I kind of want to be my own boss and uh, do my own thing, so I figured out, I'm going to grow some peas. And so I started uh, doing a couple of acres of peas, and uh, I started uh, asking folks at church to say, hey, I'm growing peas now. Would you like to buy some uh, produce for me? And they'd be like, yeah, of course, of course. And um, 10 years later, now I have a pretty good client base where I can make phone calls, and they know I'm going to call around uh, July, June, July, August for their uh, for their purchase. And it comes to the farm, they pick them up now. And so uh, it's kind of crazy. It all started with, uh, joining this class and becoming a member and joining this uh, trying for the uh, LDE, the farm skill, and just had a misunderstanding of what FFA was actually about. I think I have to be a farmer to be involved, and uh, thank God it uh, opened a new world for me, Andrew. Along the way, were you mostly just kind of learning on your own? or Because, you know, we all know that it can be difficult to get started in farming, and granted, you were starting kind of small and, and building up, but how does somebody learn to be able to grow that business? Because you were just in high school when all this was happening. Yes, sir. I was I was 15 years old, Andrew. And so um, I would say I had lots of help. I had some great mentors. Uh, without great mentors and, uh, and a, a family who has my back, it'd be really hard to, uh, to do what I was doing at such a young age. Uh, 15 years old, I couldn't even drive my truck uh, by myself. At the time. I had a permit, so I had to drive my parents in order to uh, – to drive to the farm, and so uh, my son is very supportive of me. Actually, my dad, he used to um, do a little bit of farming back in his day. He had a couple of acres of peas, but he never actually sold them or had a business. It was just kind of a hobby uh, for him. He enjoyed being outside and uh, just wanted to have that kind of for the family, and so I'm the first person to take it turn to turn into a business. So with his leadership, uh, with his previous experience, I took on some uh, – took off some knowledge with how to operate the tractor because beforehand, Andrew, I had no idea how to even drive a tractor. And so I was starting completely uh, from scratch. And so Dad told me how to plow, how to set a plow, how to maintain uh, our tractor. And we also had a deacon at church. And uh, that deacon loaned me his planter for a few years. And so the deacon, he farmed as well uh, on a small acreage and I didn't have the capital at the time to buy my own planter. And so he said, well, 
like, my crops, you can just use this planter to, to plant yours. I was like, wow. So he taught me how to set it and everything and uh, how to operate it. And so I used it for probably two or three years before actually getting my own equipment uh, in, in, in for the planter. But I've had some great mentors. I was also involved in some great organizations such as the uh, the Texas Farm Bureau, uh, Texas Landers Association. I was involved in 4-H and, of course, FFA. So I've had a lot of parents as well who are older than me who've been there, done that, and um, I just ask a lot of questions to folks who I see are successful, people have done it before, and I just spread my wings and connect people around the world now. I've got friends in uh, different states that farm, and I can seek advice from them. And so it just went from that small mentorship to now I can call anyone uh, across the U.S., you mentioned about capital and buying equipment and so forth, and that's the topic that we sometimes have here on on this show. Did you just grow over time? Were you having to go out and try to borrow money? Because that's one of the big barriers a lot of times to getting involved in agriculture, sometimes the capital. Did you just slowly grow into it and then just use, in a sense, the borrowed equipment when you could? Exactly, exactly. So um, when I first started, we had an old Nancy Ferguson my dad used to farm with, uh, when he was hobby farming, and uh, at the time it wasn't running, but we got it going, and uh, I basically borrowed his tractor until I bought my own just a few years ago, and so uh, I was in college when I bought my first actual piece of equipment. Uh, the first thing I bought was a, I think it was a fertilizer spreader to spread out dry fertilizer uh, to the field, so I borrowed his tractor for a few years um, until I had the, uh, the cash to buy my own, so I never used any loans. Um, I, I just, I tried to farm with cash only and, and for the lease, the lease agreement that I had with my family was that if I took care of their land and take care of, uh, uh, keep it well-maintained, keep it fertilized and everything, that the only lease is to give them produce <laughs> at the end of harvest. And so that was really easy for me to get started. I had to put a whole lot of money down to buy land and, uh, the biggest thing is a tractor, of course. And so that was, uh, that was a good deal for me. So. I now, um, 10 years later, I have my own tractor now, have my own truck, have my own, uh, I've got a harvester now for my peas, I've got my own planter, uh, own plow and everything, but it took years to accumulate that, but I still a little bit by town, a little bit by, um, over time, so I do everything with cash, and so, uh, yeah, thankfully I didn't take any loans for anything uh, along the way, so I did a little bit by little bit. And that way I'm, I'm farming debt-free, thankfully. That's a good way to farm is when you're farming debt-free. You, yes. where, where do you see yes, this sir. going? Because you are uh, working with Texas uh, Farm Bureau Insurance, I believe now, but I have the feeling that you're wanting to continue to grow. Is your idea then to eventually be a full-time farmer? Is that the goal? Uh, no, that's not the goal specifically. Uh, my main goal right now is to focus on my uh, insurance business, of course, so that's my that's my primary income. So I do that. Uh, I usually save money through Friday. But I'm actually on the road right now to uh, Central Texas for a first appointment this weekend. So I've got an appointment tonight. I've got one Saturday. I've got one Sunday. So <laughs> I, can, I save money through Friday, but it's really not a Monday through Friday gig. So uh, the farm is usually done on the weekend besides this weekend. And so my main goal is to focus on my insurance business and uh, just have that farm as a weekend, uh, as a weekend, I guess, quote, unquote, side hustle, um, something to do outside of insurance. So uh, for myself, I just want to spread my risk out because with insurance, 
uh, the longer that you're in it, of course, you build your business and you have uh, have the renewal income. And so, I just want to have uh, I want to have passive income and have the farm to do as an option and not direct, directly rely on that for my primary income source. Right, right. You know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to, to talk about, and certainly uh, you've been written about in Farm Journal magazine as well, is is you know when you started there in FFA. You were one of the first black FFA members, I believe, in your FFA chapter, and you talked a little bit about that and just getting involved as kind of a first-generation farmer was something new, but also just about being in that chapter and, and kind of being a, a leader. Can talk about that for a moment? Sure, sure. So when I first joined FFA, I walked into the classroom, and I was the only black guy in my classroom, but I've been involved with, uh, I was also involved in band, athletics and a few other organizations where there'd be black folks, white folks, Hispanic folks. We didn't have a whole lot of ages where I'm from, but uh, it's very diverse. I mean, in band, it was probably half and half. Uh, sports, I did track. It was probably half and half, half black, half white. And so when I joined agriculture, the agricultural world, I was the only black guy in my class to start off. And uh, I was a little cut off guard, kind of not sure why it was that way. And... Um, but I went ahead and, and gave it full effort, gave it a shot, and uh, went to my first contest when I was a freshman, and I was the only black guy in, in the whole uh, the whole district at the first contest. So I'm around, at this point, hundreds of white folks, and I'm the only black guy. And so um, I got looked at a little bit differently. I could tell I got kind of, people look a bit longer when they see me, they kind of, not, not stare, but they look a little bit longer, kind of take a second guess. And I was like, this is very different. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I made some really really good friends. I mean, people were very friendly to me. Uh, they were very open to uh, coming to me and talking to me. And that's where I'm from and everything. And I felt very warmly welcomed uh, in the FFA world. And um, overall, I mean, I've had I've had a few bad experiences uh, at a, at a few places, but overall, man, it's been a great experience uh, as a whole. And so after becoming more involved in FFA. For some reason, I started seeing more black folks get involved. So I have a cousin uh, who joined FFA. Her, I think, I think she was a sophomore when she first joined. And so after I got, after I started going, she came in. There's another guy I recall. He signed up for FFA uh, after I joined as well. And so we had uh, at one time we had three black folks on our uh, chapter while I was the president my senior year. So it started off as just me. And then my cousin came along, another friend of mine came along, and uh, and thank God I was able to serve as, as the first uh, the first full black president of my uh, of my uh, FFA chapter in high school, and I was also a, a district officer as well for the uh, for the Mineola district. And so yeah, it was uncomfortable starting off at first, the oddball I guess, but um, what that taught me is uh, being is being comfortable is not always a good thing because. If I wanted to be comfortable, I would have went back to being uh, and very involved in the athletics, where it was more diverse, be more involved in band, where it's more diverse. But FFA, it was a little bit uncomfortable being the only black guy, to be honest with you. But I've received so many, uh, I got so many new friends. I have so many opportunities now that were presented before me that I did not even know about before I joined. And so um, now over time, it's almost. Uh, second nature to be the only black guy in the room now. I go to these conferences and stuff for farming, and I'm usually the only black guy there. And 
now it's not something that I really think about anymore. It's just I understand that they're just not there's simply not a whole lot of black folks who are doing what I'm doing. And uh last year actually I got invited to speak at the uh the National Black Growers Council where I met hundreds of other black farmers across the world. And so uh it wasn't until two years ago I met another black farmer who's in Texas. Like literally another a full-time, he's a full-time black farmer in in, the, in my in my home state. My first time meeting one who did it full-time. I know lots of part-time guys, but one who did it full-time like that, my first time. And so uh, it was kind of cool to see people who uh, look like me doing the same thing and present the same struggles uh, that I've been presented with as well, the same uh, challenges and stuff. But overall, I think that it's not really a not really a race issue, maybe. I think it now is more of an option issue because um, a long time ago, farming was farming was the only thing black folks knew because they got the plantation, and that's what they knew. They knew how to they knew how to farm. They knew crops. They knew soil, and that's what they did. And uh, now you can go get a forty-hour week job. You can work in the metroplex and, and be in in sales or be a nurse or be a doctor, and not have to rely on a on farm income. For your primary income source, and now I think there's just more availability uh, outside of the farm, where it's not as many black folks who are involved production for, in production agriculture. We've talked there about inclusion and, and kind of talking about the the race side of things, but what about getting folks involved that maybe have not farmed? Because <laughs> that was just uh, uh, something that was, you know, you had the desire and you figured it out. Has that been a barrier as well? How do we get young folks to get involved in? production agriculture if maybe they never have before because I think that's a great piece of your story of how you figured that out in a sense you certainly had mentors uh, that helped you along but how do we replicate that to help other young people that would like to be in agriculture but maybe don't have the background or maybe don't have the capital and so forth are there ways that we can help uh, duplicate what you've been doing Yes, sir. I think that uh, also young people are, are basically intimidated by the input cost of farming, and they're intimidated by having the uh, access to land, and they're intimidated by um, having a market to sell. So these are those are three main things in farming. I think so. I think that it comes down to like I clients who are farming twelve thousand acres, and so if my idea of a farmer is someone who's growing twelve thousand acres and has million dollars, uh, millions of dollars of equipment. I'm going to be kind of intimidated of how I'm getting that kind of money to do that. But people don't understand that you can be very profitable on a small scale. I mean, right now, I have a farm uh, total. I've got a 30-acre lease in Greenville. I've got 12 acres in Brashear, and I've got some land down at home that I farm, and also a few small spots across. But uh, as far as acres total that I'm going to be producing this year, and that's not what folks think when they, when they think of farm. They think of thousands of acres, and they think of, uh, huge combines and, and grain and, and feedlots and stuff, but that's not that's that's not exactly the definition of what it has to be. And so I think that people are understanding more of you can do an acre, you can do two acres, you can do three acres of a specialty crop and still be profitable and, and still be farming. And so it's just the education. If they if people just if people will ask questions and seek those things, uh, they'll meet someone who's on the same level as them. So. Um, when I first started in my small town, Winona, Texas, um, there weren't any big row crop farmers at all. I mean, we didn't have – I didn't see a combine until I was in college in near Stephenville. 
Um, I, I, we didn't see combines when I was growing up. Where I'm at, we had farmers who were doing two or three acres. That's kind of what I saw, and uh, I kind of replicated that. But people just need to understand that um, you can do it on any level that you decide, decide that you want to do it on. It doesn't have to be a thousand-acre farm. You don't have to be a farmer. I mean, if you're doing it full time, I can kind of under, I can definitely understand that because you have to produce so much to pay for equipment and pay for your land lease, pay for your land note. I understand this thing, but in, in order to uh, – you can still produce on, as, a, as a weekend side hustle, I guess, small scale. all comes down – I think it all comes down to education and being, being a person to seek wisdom and ask questions because if you, if, you, if you want to be involved in it, you've got to just ask questions and be around good people. But it had – I think everyone knows – Everyone knows what what a farmer is. They all know what like, what a what a producer what a producer is. And so, if they think, "Huh, I think I want to do that," all I gotta do is uh, is do some research, join an organization, find some good mentors, and take action. And so, those are the three steps I would say to get more young folks involved. Is, is they have to want it though. Um, it can't be up to us to. to push folks to do this thing if they don't want to if they want to do it because there's so many other options other avenues available now to where if they don't want to be involved in production agriculture that's completely fine uh, but if they do then they, they seek those resources and find good mentors and, and simply take action Taryn you've shared a lot of good advice any other things that you think would be important to uh, tell people just the, the lessons you've learned as a person getting started and, and doing well uh, here just a few years into to farming and agriculture? Yes, sir. Um, a tip that I would give, um, and this is to this is to anyone, is I just I just truly trust the process. And I try to have just I have very simple, good daily habits uh, that transition between my business to my farm to my spiritual life to my my health, eat uh, my workout routine, my morning routine. Is I try to I try to really really focus on just simply good daily habits and to, to every person it's something different. For for me, I try to uh, take a walk of gratitude every single day. So when I get done with my work, I get done um, on the farm. It might be late at night sometimes, but there's still daylight. I take a walk of gratitude. I simply talk to God and I uh, reflect on my day. And I just, I'm just very grateful to think about where I've driven to. The clients that I've seen, clients that I've helped out with insurance planning, people that I've sold produce to, I reflect on those things, and I simply thank God for uh, for for safety and for being around good people and for, for clean water, roof over my head, just the small things in life I'm very grateful for. And so um, that keeps me very fresh, it keeps me grounded, and um, when things happen that are unexpected, let's say a, a big client leaves or let's say your, your tractor breaks down or uh, you lose your crop to where I can reflect back and think, you know, we have this woman and I had food, shelter, and water, and I have my uh, and I have my my health and uh, clean water and roof over my head. So I just try to I try to tell folks just be glad for the small things in life, and uh, when bad things happen, they're guaranteed to happen. Uh, you can bounce back from that and continue continue rolling. Taryn, great advice. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Just lots of good stuff in it, and I really like your 
your walk of gratitude. It's just a good way, it sounds like, to, to end the day, but be thankful for what you have and set yourself up to, to start a, a good next day. That's a good idea, I think. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And thank you again for having me, Andrew. I really had a good time chatting with you today. I like the idea of Terrence's gratitude walk. He's got some good ideas, no matter the size of farm you may have or what you may do in the ag industry. On our farm this week, we got snow, about three inches of snow that really made it feel like the calendar should still be back in February. There's been some corn planted in our area, but I've not seen any that has poked through yet, although I've heard some rumors that some has. I'm not sure how the sub-freezing temperatures and snow will affect it. I know we've had corn that was up and was snowed on in the past, and it was all right. We'll just have to wait and see if that early planted corn finds some warmth and comes up like it should, or if it will be time to replant. Personally, we're still looking for our first opportunity to put seeds in the ground. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Farm in the Countryside on Facebook, as well as our daily American Countryside broadcasts on Facebook or your local radio station. I'll catch you next time on Farm in the Countryside. This edition of Farm in the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.